Anybody who listens to this show on a regular basis knows that I tend to not get too far ahead of the process regarding this franchise. Meaning, I'll look at the Sidney Crosby years, the remaining Sidney Crosby years, and not past that very often. Today's going to be an exception. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates that I hope you'll check out as well. Conversation came up in a live video stream I was doing with a soccer writer in Brazil last night. Don't ask. If you want, I can share it with you at some point. I think he's going to run it later in the week. Just someone I've known and got to meet at the 2016 Olympics in Rio. And he's a Penguins fan. Diehard Penguins fan for a long time. 30 years, according to him. His name's Alex. Great supporter of our website and everything else for many, many years. And we got to talking about that. And because it's somebody else's show, you know, they bring it up, I'm going to entertain it. And I guess that the reason that I'm bringing it up with you here today is that I was actually a little bit unsettled about how unsettling I found the prospect of a future, not just without Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang. That's some Captain Obvious stuff there, uh, even if it's just from the hockey standpoint. I was way, way, way more unsettled by the very real retroactive fact that the only two times over the last four decades that this franchise has found itself in any kind of trouble have been the only two times when things were souring on the ice. Now, the differences within this are are subtle. The first one, of course, being the very late 90s when the bankruptcy hit and Yaramir Yager needed to score a big goal, huge goal, one of his greatest, too against the Devils at the Civic Arena to buy the team another playoff round and thus another round of revenue so that they could avoid it. That's how tough things were financially at the time. That wasn't so much about the team being lousy as it was the team not being able to afford all the star power that it accumulated and Combine that with the loss of Mario to his initial retirement in 1997. So, Mario comes back. Everything is just beyond awesome and spectacular because everything that Mario touches turns to gold. But especially when he's playing. All of the season tickets, sales, slumps, this, that, and everything else just vanished. Unlike any sports turnaround from a business standpoint that's ever existed in North American sporting lore. Just boom! Every seat, price could go through the roof, didn't matter. TV ratings beyond through the roof. But even that gave way just three years later. Because that's when the battle for the salary cap began, and the Penguins, of course, led by Mario, were front and center, 
in that battle because they knew they couldn't keep these players together, and they didn't. And there went Yager and Alexei Kovalev and Martin Straka and Robert Lang, and they were just unable to keep them, and they dedicated themselves to a whole new beginning and the, what was that called? The It was either Generation X or X Generation. I can't remember what, which one at the moment, but it was a, just a desperate attempt to try to sustain interest. And even though Mario was still playing a somewhat small part in this on the ice, his health had started to come into play and the place started to empty out. Penguins had an 18-game losing streak at one point, 0-17-0-1 to be exact. I covered all 18 games, including on the road. Dick Tarnstrom and Ryan Malone tied for the team scoring lead. The great Dick Tarnstrom, for those of you who go back with my writing. And it just looked so sad. And it looked like even after all that, the Pittsburgh market was so fragile when it came to the NHL. So what ends up happening since then? Sid comes along. Gino comes along. Three, three more cups. Flower comes along. Tanger. And the sport reaches new heights of stability, of profitability, get a new building, which makes them way healthier. And along the way, and David Morehouse doesn't get anywhere near enough credit for this, but it was Morehouse who put into play, even at the risk of ticking some people off locally, all kinds of come and play the sport initiatives. The Penguins were building rinks, not just ice rinks, deck hockey rinks, roller rinks, to get people to participate because when they participate, they invest that much more. You know that if you're involved in the game in any capacity beyond watching it. You know exactly what I mean. It becomes part of you. And he did that with a long-term vision of not only building the brand, the Penguins brand and what it stood for, but also just the game and making Pittsburgh a true Canada-style hockey town. And it's to his credit, it's to all of their credit, it's ultimately always to Mario's credit that this happened. How sturdy is it? How much, how much can be withstood? What level of loss of players, of stardom, of games? could this city handle and still pay the exorbitant prices that the Penguins ask to get you into PPG Paints Arena? I don't have that answer, and that's what unsettled me. I'd like to think I have the answer, but coming out of COVID, we started to see, you know, these 14,000s and whatever else, and I understand it was a global pandemic and it was an unusual circumstance to say the least. But it really wasn't until this past season that you returned to the, okay, yeah, of course it's a sellout. It's a sellout. Yeah, it's 18,000 plus, whatever the exact number ends up being, whether it's technically a sellout or not. What's that going to mean? What's that going to mean? You don't replace Sid and Gino. You just don't. We've been lucky way too many times to reasonably be expecting some third round of generational luck when we come back J1Q.
Today's day one cue comes from Bob, who says, Hi, Dan. Thanks for the podcasts. On each of my favorite Pittsburgh teams, I listen to them every day at the gym. That's always good to hear. I, I like, don't just say that you, you're listening, which is appreciated unto itself. But it's so much cooler when you say I'm like walking my dog or whatever it is, you know, because that helps. Trust me, it just does. I like to visualize sometimes the people that I'm talking to. So right now, I'm talking to Bob, and he's at the gym just killing it, just blowing everybody away. Bob says, my question is a hypothetical one. If you're Kyle Dubas and you know Matt Duchesne is coming available in a couple of days at a $3 million price tag next year, do you still make the trade for Riley Smith? I do, Bob. I might be in the minority on that one, but Duchesne, for me, lost his luster with his last couple of moves. He's not the Duchesne that we remember from his really prolific, dynamic days. I think the last time we saw him or that version of him was in that finishing run with Columbus. Remember when the Blue Jackets were trying to load up and they got Panarin and all these guys and everything, and it it still didn't work out? That was the last time I saw him. Now, I don't see him as often as I do players in the Metro or just in the Eastern Conference in general, but when I've seen him, I've not really seen him, okay? That's probably the best way I can word that. Whereas before, you just couldn't take your eyes off 95. I mean, he was electric. Riley Smith, to me, is a better fit for what the Penguins need right now at this phase. And as I just went through in the opening segment, this final stage of these legendary players who are here, I believe that Smith will be compatible with Geno. I believe that Smith will be a terrific fit as it applies to the PK and a generally solid accompaniment to the overall approach of just defending better. Remember, that's the theme here, and it doesn't just have to apply to the bottom six. It applied, in this case, to Kyle Dubas's bottom six acquisitions It applied to the joint philosophy that Dubas has put together with Mike Sullivan. But it's not like the Penguins can afford to say to their top two lines, hey, just do whatever you want, and we're going to let the bottom six guys worry about the defending. It's just just not going to happen. The Penguins aren't that prolific at five-on-five, and... Don't make me be the guy to bring up that they're not nearly as prolific on the power play as they once were. So you're going to need everybody doing that. With the loss of Jason Zucker, and that's, of course, the player who's being replaced here. That's all we're talking about here, and it's all you're talking about when you bring up this hypothetical scenario. You needed someone who was going to be a conscience on that line, but more important, you needed someone who was going to be effective. Zucker gave absolutely everything he had, every drop of sweat, Every shift, every game. But that doesn't mean he was an outstanding defensive player. He was. He was pretty good just because of the effort. But he didn't have a natural instinct, a natural flow to it. Smith does. 
you won't even necessarily notice it as much because you won't see the the hyperdrive or, or everything else that you got out of Zucker. But he'll just make the simple play and he'll make it really, really well. Excellent first pass out of the zone is a small example, but that's kind of what Gino likes, you know, spring him a little bit. Was Duchesne going to be able to do that for you? No, Duchesne's not that player. Duchesne's never been that player. He's certainly not going to pick up on that at this stage of his career. So I hope that answers your question. I'm not super into hypotheticals, but I see where you're coming from. And and I'm going to stick with Smith on this one. I really like this player. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We're going to do another one of these tomorrow.